passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching people with Jesus. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxis. say. The last message in this series is, what does the Bible say about sin? And that's what we're going to look at today. Next week, we jump back to 1 Samuel. We pick up with 1 Samuel 17, which is the David and Goliath passage. And I'll tell you, there's a lot more in there than your Sunday school teacher told you about. So you're going to want to look forward to getting that next week. Thanks, Siri. Um, so let's talk about this issue of sin. Has anybody noticed that the world seems like it's falling apart right now? Just look at the news. I mean, we have this extended war in Ukraine with Russia. That just seems hard to even conceive. It's still happening or that it even happened. If you look at your um, your portfolio, you know, stocks are down, you've lost a whole bunch of money, so have I. And we have all kinds of challenges. Inflation is up, I think, what is it, up to about 7, seven to 10%. Trust in the government is at an all-time low. Life shouldn't be this way. This isn't the way God designed things to be. Why is the world falling apart so much? The Bible says at the root of all of the troubles in this world is one thing. It's called the issue of sin. Now, what is sin? This is the first question I have for you in your outline, so let's follow along there. Genesis 1, 31 says this, When God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. When God made this world, it was good. It was very good. And this world was perfect. There was no sin in this world at all. The Old Testament calls the state of complete perfection shalom. Maybe you've heard that term. Some of you think that shalom means the presence of peace and the absence of war, but the Hebrew term shalom carries a lot more than just the presence of peace. It means that everything is just the way it should be. That in every relationship, there's love and honor between people. And when there's difficulties, there would always be reconciliation between people. The state of shalom would be there's no hunger in this world. There's no famine in this world. There's no sickness. There's no disease. There's no death. There's no tears. There's no sadness. There's no funerals. But when sin came into this world, it victimized the state of shalom in this world. And what it did is it destroyed the perfection of everything in this world. Now, right now, We have to lock our doors in our houses. Why? Because of sin. Why do you lock your door in your car? It's a sin management issue. Why do you have that fingerprint sensor on your cell phone or that face ID thing on your cell phone? It's all because of sin. Why do we have police to manage sin? Why do we have jails? to keep sinful people who are committing sinful acts off the streets? Why is the largest expense in our national budget the military to manage sin and aggression from other nations? Sin is a huge issue. 
we spend most of our time, most of our money trying to keep it in check in this world. Now, let me give you a functional definition of sin. Sin is commission and omission. Commission is actively choosing to do something that is wrong. Remember in July 4th where we had that shooter got up on a roof in Illinois and he sprayed bullets into a parade, killing a whole bunch of people, and then he ran away? Well, that's sin of commission. Somebody actively choosing to do something that is wrong. But the Bible says sin is not just things we choose to do wrong. It's also omission. It's things we fail to do what is right. Whenever we fail to do the right thing, we also sin. James 4.17 says this, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Here's an example. Say um, you have a child and you drop that child off at daycare. And you discover that in that daycare, one of the workers is actually a child molester, a sicko predator. Well, if that sicko predator uh, molests a child, that predator obviously committed the sin of commission. They chose to do what was wrong. But the person in charge of the hiring process, the person who failed to do the background check, which would have revealed that that person has a, um, a background as a molester, that person committed a sin of omission and sinned against every child in that place by failing to do what is right, even though that person did not actively choose to do what is wrong. So sin can be either commission or omission. I'll show you this in the Old Testament. The Bible says whoever builds a house needs to put a parapet around the roof. Now you're thinking, parapet? Is that like a parakeet? No, it, it's not. A parapet is actually another name for a railing. <coughs> because in the Old Testament times, you would have a house, but the house would typically have a flat roof. And in the evening hours, you wouldn't go into the house because the house had been baked by the sun, so it was super hot. So you would go up onto the roof where it was cool. But if in those evening hours, when you had people on your roof, if you were a tightwad in the building process and you didn't pay to put a railing around the edge of your house and somebody fell from your roof, guess who was liable in their death? You were because you were a tightwad and didn't put a railing to protect your neighbor and to love your neighbor. The Old Testament also says you dig a pit and you don't cover it to protect people from falling into it. If an animal falls into it or if a person falls into it and they're hurt, guess who's liable? The person who dug the pit and didn't take protective measures to guard their neighbor from falling into it. Those are all sins of omission, not actively choosing to do what's wrong, but passively failing to do what's right. The Bible also says this, sin is in our thoughts, not just our actions. Matthew 5, 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, many times we say it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I think about people. As long as I don't do the wrong thing with people, I'm okay. Well, well it is wrong to actively do things wrong. It is wrong to actively commit adultery, 
But the Bible says that sin begins in the thoughts. Sin begins in the mind. And if we're thinking about someone in a hateful manner, or we're thinking about someone in a lustful manner, even though we may not have done anything, we have still sinned in our thoughts. The Bible also says this, sin is ignoring God. Job 8.13, such are the paths of all who forget God. The hope of the godless shall perish. The godless, today we call that atheism. Living as if God does not exist. The Bible calls atheists the people who are godless in the Bible. Now, oftentimes we think that people, they think they can be atheists. We can believe God doesn't exist and it won't matter. It's, think of it like this. It's like pretending you don't have cancer after the doctor tells it to you. You can pretend you don't have cancer as long as you want, but eventually you'll come to the realization that cancer is real and you have it. Thank you, Kevin. It's the same way with God. People can pretend that he doesn't exist, even though the creation around them abundantly testifies to his existence, but eventually they get to the end of their life and discover, guess what? He does exist. So sin is simply trying to ignore God trying to be an atheist and thinks he doesn't exist. The Bible also says sin is idolatry. Idolatry is worshiping anything else instead of Christ. It's worshiping anything in the creation in place of the creator. The problem is idolatry never satisfies and always leaves us shortchanged. Let's say for you, you have an old car. You're into that old car. You buff that old car. You polish that old car. Your head's always under the hood of that old car. You live for that old car. You sacrifice your family on the altar of the love of that old car. But here's the problem. That old car, even though you worship it and you live for it, it will fail you. It will let you down. It will rust on you. It will fall apart on you. It cannot give anything back to you. It's a dead idol. But the truth is that God is not a dead idol. He is a living God. We worship him and he loves us. He pursues us. He cares about us. He sent his own son to die for us. An old car can't do that. That's why it's always wrong to um, worship an idol. And sin is idolatry. Sin is not necessarily a crime. Next point. Some sins are criminal things and some things are not criminal things. Like for instance, if you go to steal something from the store, that's criminal. You will be arrested. It's also sinful. But if you commit adultery on your spouse, that's not criminal. Probably should be. <laughs> but it is sinful. So not all things are, that are criminal are sinful. But next, sin is breaking God's laws. Now, the Bible has laws that are beyond human laws. And even if we don't agree with God's laws, if we break them, we are sinning. Now we may think God's laws are out of date. 
may think God's laws are behind the times. We may think God's laws are no longer relevant. But the truth is, anytime we break God's laws, we sin. Like, for instance, take the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. Now, obviously, this means that little children are to honor their parents, but it also applies to people in my age group and your age group that we in middle life have to love and honor our aging and failing parents. Now, I don't know what your parents were like. Maybe you're here today and say, I am so thankful I'm out of the home. My parents did not treat me right. My mother did not love me right. I am so thankful to have my parents out of my life. Well, that may be what you feel. But the Bible still says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. I don't know what it means for you to honor your father and mother and to do it well. And you can't ignore that command. To ignore that command is sin. Because the Bible tells us we must do that. And as God's people, we must be known for that. Give you some more examples in this. The Bible says this, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Paul says you give to people what you owe them. We pay our taxes because we owe it to our government. Even if we're not really happy with what our government is spending it on, even if not really happy with what our government is doing with our tax money, we still pay taxes to whom taxes are owed. And we give honor to whom honor is owed. Today, we live in a dishonoring culture where if someone is on a political party that's the opposite of what we believe, it's very easy to dishonor them, to speak down about them, to give no respect to them. Well, that may be what other people are doing, but the Bible says very clearly, we give honor to whom honor is owed, respect to whom respect is owed. We salute the uniform even if we struggle to salute the person. And that's what it means to live as God's people. And to not do so is sin. Here's another one. Sin is breaking the law of conscience. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So sin can be breaking the laws of our land. Sin can be breaking God's laws and God's word, but Here's something that many of you didn't realize. Sin is any time we break the law of our conscience. If God has not given us peace about something being right for us, even if it's not clearly addressed in the Bible, for us to violate our conscience is sin. I'll give you an example. A few years ago, we had a, a man in Crosswinds, a good friend of mine, um, came out of Seventh-day Adventist church he always went to church on Saturday. Grew up going to church on Saturday. That's like the big thing. But he started coming to Crosswinds, started growing in Christ, and was here on Sundays. And he, he talked to me. He's like, I just don't know what to do right now. I'm just totally torn. I go to church on Saturday and Sunday right now. And I said, for you, until you've worked through those issues about why we worship on Sunday and not on Saturday, for you to ditch going to church on Saturday would be sin for you. 
because it would be violating the law of your conscience of what you feel is right in your life right now. Now, we worship on Sunday because Jesus rose on Sunday. Uh, The Holy Spirit came and Pentecost happened on Sunday. Once Jesus rose from the dead, every single occurrence and mention of what the church is doing happens on Sunday in honor of the resurrection, which is why we meet on that day. But this guy was not there yet. And for him to violate his conscience and not to go to church on Saturday would have been the wrong thing for him to do at that time. Now I can tell you today, he just goes to church on Sunday. But until he had processed that, he would have violated his conscience and it would have been sin. Sin is taking something good and twisting it into something evil. Like the internet. Folks, the internet is an incredibly good thing. We can send prayer requests out. We can stay in much better connection as a church family. You guys know my daughter just went to college yesterday. But the best part is in college you can FaceTime your kids now. I can actually see her. I don't just get to hear her. I mean, I love that. I was doing a bunch of home repairs in my house. The garage door was broken. I'm finding the parts. I love Amazon. You can put the part numbers in Amazon and actually find the stuff. And I can order the stuff. And when it came to repairing things, oh, I love YouTube. Anybody love YouTube for that home repair? I mean, it's great. The internet is intended to be a good thing but it can be twisted into a very evil thing. A place where people can purvey hate, social media, bullying, pornography. Anytime you take a good thing and twist it into a bad thing, that's called sin. Uh, Sin is taking a good thing and making it a God thing. There's many good gifts God has given us, like money, sexuality, influence, athletic prowess. If God's given you the gift of resources and money, that's a a good thing. And you can bless other people. You can be an encouragement to them. In our sexuality, God has given us the gift of marriage. And in marriage, we should be saying, God, thank you so much for giving me my spouse. What a wonderful gift. Maybe God's given you athletic abilities and you can do well on a basketball court or on a wrestling mat. And what an opportunity to say, hey, this is a chance to just give glory to God and thank God for the goodness of his gift. But we can take those good things and turn them into God things. And you and I know people who worship money. They live for money. That's sin. People who live for sex. They worship sex. That's taking a good thing, turning it into a God thing. That is sin. People whose athletic gifts are their identity. It's all about how good I am and what an athlete I am. That's taking a good thing, turning it into a God thing. That's sin. Another example. Sin is finding our identity in anyone or anything other than Jesus. Now, folks, all of us struggle with this. So easy to find our identity in something besides Jesus. But I want to just give an example this morning in particular about mothers. Maybe mothers who have given their entire life to raise their children to know and love Jesus Christ. Now, moms, I'm going to be honest with you. You may be very successful. Your kids may leave your house and they may know and follow and love Jesus, but 
That may not happen for all your children. Some of your children will wander away. It'll break your heart. And I've talked to some mothers who are just in tears over the fact that the children that they gave their life to raise for Jesus Christ have walked away from Jesus. And those mothers are like, you know, I feel like my life was useless. It amounted to nothing. And I would say to you, what's most significant in your life is not what has been done by you, but what has been done for you. It's what Jesus Christ has done for you is far more significant than anything that has been done, that is done by you. Jesus Christ the God of the universe who created every single thing we see and even the things we can't even see in the vast angelic universe. He died in your place for your sin. He loves you. He adopted you through faith into his family. Our identity is we are the most blessed beings in the entire universe. There is nothing, no one more blessed than we are through Jesus. And folks, that trumps anything we've done in this life, whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. Jesus is the better thing. And to lose sight of that is sin. Now, let's move on to another question. Are all sins equal? The answer is yes and no. Let me explain it to you this way. All sin makes us guilty before God. And the scripture says this, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And anytime we are not perfect, we are sinful. And so I think in that case, we're all equal. We are all sinners. James chapter two, verse 10 says this, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become accountable for all of it. Sin is not like your GPA. You know, like anything over 90% is an A or 93% is an A. And I'm good enough. You know, I'm like in the B category. I'm not failing. I don't sin too much. According to scripture, any sin makes us a sinner. Any sin separates us from God. So in that sense, all sins are equal. But the scripture says this, not all sin is equally devastating and equally judged. John 19.11, Jesus said this, Therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Some sin is greater than other sin. Did you realize that? Some sin is more devastating than other sin. And there's a big difference between jaywalking and being a mass murderer. Some sin is more devastating. In fact, Revelation chapter 20 talks about the fact that all of us will stand in front of the great right throne of judgment where people will be judged based on what they have done in this life. And if their sins are not forgiven by Jesus Christ, when those people are assigned to the lake of fire, which is the place for the devil and his angels, since the lake of fire is a just response to the sins done in this life. Those who are far greater sinners in this life are in a hotter spot in the lake of fire in the next life. 
and those who are lesser sinners in this life are it is not a torturous spot in the lake of fire in the next life because the lake of fire is a just response to sin and not all sin is equally devastating and equally judged. James 3.1 says this, not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That someone like myself, standing as a pastor in front of people, trying to exposit the word of God and teach the word of God, I will be judged more strictly. The Bible says that very clearly because I have more influence on people because I stand in front of people. So I'm held to a higher standard. The Bible also says this in 1 Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. One thing God really doesn't like is when somebody doesn't provide for their family. When they're lazy and they stay home and they just watch YouTube and, and cable and they're not out there a man working, providing for his wife and children. God doesn't like that at all. That's judged strictly. Next question. What is total depravity? Now, maybe you've heard about total depravity before, and maybe you have a misunderstanding of what total depravity means. Total depravity does not mean that we are as sinful as we could possibly be. That's called utter depravity. And I have this in your outline. Utter depravity means I would be as sinful as I could possibly be. As a church, we do not believe in utter depravity. There is always room for being more depraved. You could always go lower and get worse when it comes to sin, right? Yeah. But while we do not believe in utter depravity, we do believe in something called total depravity. Total depravity means sin has touched every single aspect of our life. There is nothing about us that has been untouched and unstained by sin. Let me show you what I mean. Sin affects our bodies. Isn't that why we have sickness? You know, sin came into the world, then death came into the world. Death and sickness is a result of sin. Sin affects our minds. We don't think the way we ought to think. Our minds are in constant rebellion against God. We're thinking sinful, lustful thoughts, angry thoughts. Our, where does that all come from? Our mental state has been touched by sin. Folks, sin affects our emotions. We don't feel the way things truly are. Just recently, there was a young lady in the church whose brother committed suicide. I was talking with her and the foyer after a Sunday and she's in tears, just devastated that her brother took his life. And her brother thought, you know, this world would be better off if I just wasn't here. And his emotional world had been touched by sin because I can tell you that he had a sister who desperately loved him. He had parents who desperately loved him. He had a God of the universe who sent his own son to die for him, but his emotional world was touched by sin and he didn't believe any of those things. He thought he'd be better off dead. So the way you feel, don't always trust your feelings. 
because they are touched by sin. They are twisted by sin. Sin affects our thought life. It affects the way we analyze things. Some people say, well, I just look at the facts and I can analyze the facts in a completely neutral way. That's not true, folks. Look at the news media. Same facts get spun one way by one network and spun another way by a different network because our minds are not neutral. I'll give you another example of how sin affects our minds. Some people, my, my daughter, we were talking about this before she went to school. She looks at the beauty of creation out there and she says, oh, it's so obvious that God exists. Look at God's creativeness. Look at his beauty. And she just is in awe of this. But other people can look at the beauty around them, the fish in the lake and the trees and say, oh, look at all the evidence for evolution. You see how sin affects our thought life? So we don't always think clearly and we're not totally neutral in our analysis of things. Sin even affects our motives. Sometimes we do things from sinful motives. Now let's have some fun here. What are some sinful views of sin? You know, when we look at sin, sometimes we are so sinful, we even look at sin in a sinful way. Here's an example. Sometimes we think sin is just about breaking an arbitrary rule. God gives us a bunch of rules. They're just arbitrary and pointless. No, they're not. God's laws in God's words are not arbitrary. They're there to safeguard you and me, and they're there to safeguard our relationship with God himself. And when we violate God's laws... We ruin our own life, and we also ruin the joy of our relationship with God. Now, let me give you an analogy of this. Let's say you get married. You're a young man, and you're married to a nice young lady, and your wife is going to go work in the local school system. And she goes to work there, and she discovers as a teacher on the first day that somebody she knew before, her boyfriend from high school, her boyfriend that she was engaged to for a while also works in that same school system as a gym teacher. And so you're like uncomfortable. Like, honey, just do me a favor. Just don't spend time around him. Just, you just keep away from him. Can you agree to that? And she says, okay. A few weeks later, you find out She's actually spending time with him. She's actually eating lunch with her former fiancé. And you say, what are you doing? How could you do that to me? And she says, oh, that was just an arbitrary rule. No, it wasn't. That request was there to safeguard the relationship. That request was there to help bring joy and protection for her and for you. But by violating, by considering that just an arbitrary rule and willfully violating it, damaging her marriage and her future. It's the same thing with God. All of God's rules or God's laws are there for our joy and for our good. No one violates God's laws and goes, boy, that was a better choice in life. It's always, it was a worse choice in life. Here's another way, a sinful way to look at sin. Since Jesus died for my sin, it doesn't matter if I continue in sin. You ever see that? 
well, I'm always forgiven, so why not just continue to sin? Because <laughs> then Jesus is going to forgive me anyway. This is what we hear all the time. I hear this many times with people who are living together. As a pastor, I say, hey, I call you to repentance. Move apart, move out, or get married, or do something. And then people are like, well, no, it's okay, because Jesus forgives us, and forgives us, and forgives us. Well, we need to understand. Jesus didn't die on the cross just to forgive us of the eternal consequences of our sin, but to free us from the death, destruction, and vice grip hold that sin has on us in this life today. We must understand, sin is always a bad choice. When you sin, you will suffer. It always goes that way. Sin never gives life. Sin always takes life. Sin may look good now, but it will always kill later. Just because Jesus forgives sin doesn't mean it's a good idea to continue in sin. I like to think of it this way. We have a doctor or we have a hospital in town, some good doctors. Now, I could take, because I have health insurance, and I could take a shotgun and I could put it to my foot and I could blow a hole in my foot. But you know what, we have doctors and we have a hospital and they could stitch it all together and my foot would be healed. And then a year later, I could blow another hole in my foot and say, oh, it's no big deal because I can always go right back to the doctor and I can go right back to the hospital. No, it's a dumb idea to keep blowing a hole in your foot just because you happen to have a doctor and a hospital in town. It's like a dumb idea to continue in sin even if Jesus will forgive you of your sin. Here's another um, sinful way of looking at sin. If I don't confess every sin, I will go to hell. You ever heard that one? Well, here's the good news. When you trust in Jesus to forgive your sin, he forgives you of the sin of your past, your present, and even your future. Now, if we know we've sinned, should we confess our sin? Oh, definitely we must confess our sin if God has brought that sin to mind. But folks, the honest truth is, Many times we sin and we don't even realize we have sinned. As a pastor, this has happened to me where I had no idea I said something that was hurtful to somebody or came across wrong to somebody and they'll say something to me. What you said really hurt me and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that. I didn't know I had sinned against, sinned against you. Thank you for telling me. Isn't it good that Jesus forgives all of our sin, even the sins we don't realize we need to confess? Amen? Yeah. Okay, here's another sinful response to sin. When I sin, I say, well, God knows my heart. That's what counts. You ever heard that one? People, they, they like to swear. They're angry. They're mean. They say, well, God knows I have a good heart. It's okay. That's not really true. The truth is this. The, how, the mouth is just an overflow of the heart. Matthew 12, 34. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. No one can say, I have a good heart and a bad mouth. Because the truth is, when you have a bad mouth, it's just revealing the fact that we have a bad heart. Here's another sinful response to sin. Since sin is fun, I sin a little. 
because I don't want to live a boring life. Well, John, you know some people say that. It's true. That's, well, here's the thing. Sin is not fun. If you love Jesus, you will hate sin. And some people say, well, I'm at work. I like to maybe flirt a little bit. You know, have a little fun. Oh, it's more fun to be faithful to your, with your spouse than it is to flirt with somebody else's spouse. Isn't this the way it works? Sin always looks like it's just a little thing, but it ultimately turns out to be a big and terrible thing. Isn't that the way it was with Adam and Eve, Satan? He says, oh, it's just a piece of fruit. It, it's just a little bite. And God's keeping things back from you, fun things for you, good things for you, just a little bite. And that one bite plunged the world into chaos and destruction. <laughs> so a little sin is never a little sin. Here's the sinful response to sin. Sin doesn't matter as long as nobody gets hurt. I hear this sometimes from people who are living together as Christians before the wedding night. And they say, well, it's no big deal. We're full-grown adults. We're consenting adults. Nobody's going to get hurt. Yes, everybody is getting hurt. I mean, you know how your people are getting hurt? Number one, after the time you spend in intimacy, you're filled with guilt and you're filled with shame. God doesn't want you to have intimacy followed by guilt and shame. He wants you to have intimacy with a wife or a husband and be filled with joy and thankfulness. That's God's plan, not to associate that part of your life with guilt and shame. Secondly, you're hurting the person you're with, especially if you're a guy. Well, you're going to marry her? Well, I don't know if I want to marry her. Well, then why are you sleeping with her? Well, I don't know. So what you're saying to her is if somebody better comes along, you're going to ditch her and go for somebody else. Oh, that's a great way to love a woman's heart. That's a great way to break and destroy a woman's life. Here's another way people are getting hurt. The people who are watching you are learning from you. The Bible says that when there's sin in the church, it spreads to other people in the church. And as I was thinking about this, where it spreads is often to children. Children who are watching, you know, people who are in their young adult years, sleeping together and living together, they're learning from them. And the children are saying, okay, I'm watching what Aunt Greta and Uncle Mark are doing right now. Okay, now when the kids get a little older and they face those same temptations, what do they do? Well, I'm just going to do what Aunt Greta and Uncle Mark did. Instead of holding out a good example for them to follow, what was held out was a bad example for them to follow, and they just walked right into the same shoes. And lastly, the other thing that's getting hurt is your relationship with God. Because instead of the joy that, you, that God intends for you to have, there's that guilt and shame that you live in. So when somebody says, I sin, but it doesn't matter as long as nobody gets hurt, it's not true. Everybody is getting hurt. Here's another one. Here's a sinful response to sin. There's nothing wrong with a little secret sin. This is the idea. As long as I sin in secret, nobody knows, nobody gets hurt. It's not true. 
you know. God knows. And you'd be surprised who else knows. I often see this with guys who are struggling with pornography on the internet. What's a secret thing? Trust me, your wife knows. She knows. She knows when you don't look at her the same. She knows when you're distant from her. She knows when you're thinking about something else instead of her. She may not know exactly what's wrong, but she knows something's wrong. And she's hurt by the fact that something's wrong. So secret sin never stays secret, folks. It always influences others. Here's another one. If it's popular, it must be okay, since everybody's doing it. Today is uh, Dallas Johnson's last day as our summer intern. But on his first day, when, we, when he came, uh, we went out for lunch, and I, he had just come back from Europe, and I asked Dallas, tell me about your trip in Europe, and what did you learn? And he said, well, the culture in Europe is very different from where we're at in Iowa. I said, well, in what way? He said, well, as a young man, I just can't believe. Over there, people, they live together for five to seven years before they even consider getting married. That's just the way they do it in Europe. But just because the culture is doing a sinful thing doesn't mean it's right for us to do a sinful thing. Right now, it's popular in our culture is the LGBTQ plus whole movement. That's the cultural thing, but the Bible's very clear it's also still a sinful thing. Now, let me jump in the interest of time to the very end here. get to my end. How does God respond to sin? Well, two things God does. God judges sin. He does. When Adam and Eve sinned, they faced judgment for sin. They were cast out of the garden. Uh, they, work became a pain. Work became sweat. Work became toil. And the Bible is very clear that at the end of time, God will judge sin once and for all. But God didn't just judge sin. The other thing he did is this. God sent his son to save us from our sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God sent his own son, Jesus, that when we trust in Jesus and ask him to forgive us of our sin, all of our sin goes on Jesus and all the perfection, holiness, and righteousness of Jesus is given to us. Folks, I don't know what's going on in your life this morning with sin. I don't know how you're struggling with sin. I do know this. Sin is killing you. I also know we like to lie to ourselves about sin and say it's not a big deal, and it is a big deal. But the good news is God loves you. He sent his own son to die for you, to take away your sin, not just pay for it eternally, but break the power of it in your life today and to make you into a new person who can, who's able to enjoy Jesus when we trust in him. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for not just judging sin, but for sending your son to forgive us of our sin. We just want to recognize that so many times we respond to our own sin in sinful ways. We like to minimize our sin, pretend it's not a big deal. 
Uh, we like to continue in our sin. All kinds of things. We just want to repent. Just repent of our sin. We want to own our sin. And Jesus, thank you for taking away our sin. And thank you for making us into new people when we trust in you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. A complete archive of sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thank you for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.